0: you would pray with me, and then we're going to be in First John together, but let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather together in your name, in this place that you've provided. We pray that as we spend time in your word, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us in all truth. Uh, we confess each week as we gather together that we can't do any of this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, moving, taking these eternal truths and applying to them our hearts and our minds and showing us clearly who you are and so we pray that you would be our teacher that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning that you would point us more fully to who you are and the ways that you love us and what it means for us and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly we thank you for the opportunity to spend this time together we pray all of it in jesus name amen so we're going to start today in 1 John. And so, uh, Luke just gave you the page number. Easy to remember. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. That's the way our Bible, the way it's put together in. So you go right to the back and then just go back a few pages and you'll find First John. Short little book there that we're going to start today. And as I was thinking about where to go next and what we would study and which book and end it here, uh, there's a thing that's, it's, it's really always happening in the church, but I feel like it's more, Clearly so, just in the way I'm feeling it right now, not that that means that it's more so, but I feel it more And that there's always, uh, in every generation with our culture and what's happening, there's always some sort of theological drift. And and what I mean by that is that we let the culture around us kind of start to inform the way we think and the way we act and the way we do things. And we start to drift away from the the clear message of what scripture says in some different areas and in different times and different cultures and different places that might be different things. But it's happening over and over, and we see it happening. Uh, I see it clearly in our culture today in different areas. Uh, as I was thinking about why that happens or how that happens, I think there's a few different ways it happens. One is sometimes just in our ignorance of what God's Word says. We don't clearly see what God's Word says, and we don't know what it says. And then our culture says something contrary to it. And we get bombarded with that message and we hear it over and over and we start to see it and it becomes kind of common sense and it becomes the way we think and we go, yeah, that makes sense. And we may not even realize that we're in opposition to what God's word says, but I think that happens sometimes just out of ignorance. Uh, I think there's another category where sometimes not ignorance, but maybe even a good pursuit that within the church, people who know God and love him. And care about what his word says and they see where the world is going and they start try to speak to that, which is a good thing and we should be doing that. But in the effort to try to pursue and speak truth into the things of our world, they start to synthesize what the world says and what God's word says and it starts to create small error. We take what the world's saying and yes, I want to affirm the good things, but then we kind of get off track and we start to do that. And I see that happening at different times. It leads to, uh, Errors where we're trying to make the truth more palatable. And instead of resting in God's power of His Word clearly proclaimed, we think we've got to do some things to make it stick. And so we start to kind of shade it in different ways instead of boldly proclaiming the truth. And I think that happens. I think that is happening. But then there's another category, and maybe this is why I was thinking about this this week. Um, At different times, you'll see people who have been faithful to the gospel that have very solid theology. They embrace the word, they boldly proclaim, and then suddenly they don't. Uh, There was a pastor recently, been around in kind of evangelical circles for years, that just came out and decided that he's not a believer anymore. And he says, what I believe the church wouldn't really say is Christianity, and so I'm no longer a believer and I'm stepping away from that. When that happens, you go, ugh hurts my heart to hear that, someone who was saying that this is who God is and this is what he's like. And then suddenly, and this is just from my perspective, this guy that I'm thinking of as I heard him talking about his reasons, it sounds to me like he's being more informed with what the world says than what God's word says. And I start there because I see those things and I'm hearing them and you're coming into contact with it. And then I read in this letter that the Apostle John Jesus' beloved disciple writes this letter to the church as an old man. And he's talking about these very same things. He's talking about what it means to follow Jesus faithfully. To not walk in the darkness, but to walk in the light. uh, To love others in the way God has called us to do and what that looks like and how to do that. And if you look closely at this letter that we're going to spend some time going through over the next couple of months you'll see that there were these things happening that we see today in the church that John is writing to. Some that had drifted, some that had completely stepped out of the faith, that those were those that were coming and then seeking to lead others astray. And so John is writing to encourage us to continue to walk in the light, to remain faithful, to be obedient, to see Jesus as our only hope. And so it's a very vitally relevant letter that John writes here. As he talks about what it means to have fellowship with God. What it means to walk in the light. What it means to be obedient. And he's going to call us to these things. And so I want us just to think about that as we go into it. There's a subtext in this uh, letter that I think has been the same since John wrote it almost 2,000 years ago to what is happening today. And it's that in the world there's this love of the world that kind of comes up and seeks to pull us away from the truth of who God is. We're supposed to love people and love the world and God's good creation. But when we love what the world says and thinks and cares about more than we love God, there's a problem. And John says there's a spirit that is moving in the world that is anti-Christ, that is anti-Jesus. And it's always been there and it's still there and it's still happening today. And so what he says here is so important for us as we think about this letter together. If we were to summarize just this letter that John writes and say it like this, the first half, he is talking about God is light. And to have fellowship with him and to love him and walk with him, it's to walk in the light, not in the darkness. And so that would be kind of the first half. But then he also talks about God being love and what it means that God is love. And ultimately, it's in Jesus and what he's done for us. And so those are kind of the big themes we're going to look at. But there's a lot here. And so we're going to spend probably about three months on a letter that only has five chapters. <laughs> but there's a lot to glean from this book, uh, that the beloved disciple, John, who, who also wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the first letter of John, second and third John, and then also the book of Revelation. And so uh, there's some debate on who wrote that, but I think we're pretty good ground to say it was the disciple. The language, the imagery, the way he talks is so similar to the Gospel of John. You see those so clearly together. Maybe you even heard that as Luke read First John 1 and then the Gospel of John chapter 1. You see so much overlap there. So today what we're going to do is look at the introduction. First John 1, 1 to 4. Very simple the way we're going to look at this as he begins to talk about Jesus. And so this is the way I want us to look at those first four verses. Who is he? What does he bring? And why is it Important. So as he talks about Jesus, who he is, what does he bring, and why is it important? And so let's start there in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has been made manifest to us. And so John comes out with a great, big, huge statement. And it's very similar to what he says in the Gospel of John in chapter 1. He starts with this great, big, huge idea that Jesus is the eternal life, the word of life that has always existed and he has now been made manifest to us. And I think that's such a huge statement. It's a very simple in the regard of it is so foundational of what we believe as Christians. But it can be easy to kind of gloss over or that to become, yeah, 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 I know that I know that Jesus is God and he's always existed. But I want you to think about what a profound statement that is that John is saying as he writes that Uh, I've taken to listening to quite a few podcasts. I listen to podcasts a lot uh, in my car uh, when I mow the yard, uh, when I'm working outside, whatever it is, I usually put stuff on. I listen to different podcasts and some of the podcasts I listen to, I listen to a whole uh, big difference of all sorts of different voices different people sometimes I listen to people that are atheists sometimes agnostics a lot of christians at different places but one of the things that I've taken to as I've been listening to these philosophers scientists different people is they'll talk about what they believe and why they believe it and their world view and how we got here and these great big existential questions that we all wrestle with And one of the things that I've heard over and over just in the last year or so listening to a bunch of different podcasts and a bunch of different voices and people expressing themselves is they come back to this thing of how do we gain consciousness as people, particularly those that are from an atheist worldview or an agnostic worldview, that they want to explain everything in naturalistic terms, that it just happened as it happened, but then they have no good answer why that we're conscious. Why we as beings, as, as human beings, are aware that we're alive and that we're here. And they don't have an answer for it. And I'll listen to some brilliant people and they'll seem so sure in everything they believe. And when they get pushed on that point, it's always the same. They don't really have an answer. We don't have a good answer of why that we are who we are. And that we're aware of it and that we're conscious. And as I think about those and I've listened to those quite a lot these kind of age-old questions that people wrestle with, what John is saying here is that he has seen how we are who we are. That there is truth and that there is logic and there is love behind creation and it is the eternal word of life that has always existed that has now been made manifest to us, Jesus. And that's what he's saying. And I want us to be clear that when we come to the theology of what we believe, Who God is and the way we relate to Him, it absolutely speaks to the deepest needs of our hearts. I listen to people over and over wrestling with these great big ideas and they don't have an answer. And so John speaks here and he says this word of life in chapter 1 or verse 1. When he says concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, the one that has always existed, the one that has been with the Father from eternity past has now been made manifest to us. I think when he says the word of life, he's kind of hearkening back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1 that Luke read for us just a second ago. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made that was made. The word of life that spoke all things into existence has now been made manifest to us. And he says, we have seen with our eyes and we have heard and we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands. And I want you to place that in the context of what John is writing here. And what he's dealing with is he starts this way and he says this. He's dealing with people that have walked away from the church. He's dealing with different ideas that have come into the church. He's dealing with people that are seeking to lead people astray. And he starts here and he tells you, I am telling you about Jesus that has always existed. But he doesn't speak to us uh, as a philosopher. I'm not telling you about my philosophy on life. He doesn't speak to you as someone who's just part of the church. He speaks to us as an eyewitness that says, I've not only heard and I've not only seen, but I have touched. I have been there with the eternal life that has been made manifest to us. And he speaks here from authority. He's basing what he's saying as an eyewitness on what he's saying of who Jesus is. And he's saying, Jesus is the eternal life that has always existed, that created all things, and I have seen him. And not only have I seen him, I've heard him and I've touched him and I've been there and I've walked with him. And I want you to think about the authority with which he's speaking into the church. As all these other philosophies and things are coming and people are trying to reinterpret who Jesus is and what it means. And these new ideas are coming into the church. Some scholars believe around this time was the rise of Gnosticism. This idea that what you think about things is more important than what physically is real. And here's John saying, no, 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 he was physically real. And I touched him and I saw him and he speaks authoritatively as an apostle. And it's important that we know what we mean when we say that. We are, after all, the name of our church is Church of the Apostles. Uh, And and there's a distinction here that needs to be made. An apostle was an eyewitness to the historical Jesus, that he was there with him and he heard him and he saw him and he touched him and he spent time with him and he got the message directly from Jesus. And so apostle when we talk about church of the apostles, we're church of the apostles in the sense that we follow the apostles teaching, God's word and who he is and the way he's revealed himself to those people. Now apostle, little a apostle means to be sent. And in some regard we're all apostles in that regard as a little a, we're not eyewitnesses but when we talk about Church of the Apostles, we mean big A. We're following the apostles. I had somebody attack our church uh, social media online not that long ago. said, you are a false church because you're calling yourself an apostle. Your pastor is not an apostle. Like, And I was like, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but that's not what we're saying. We're saying we followed the eyewitnesses of Jesus who have passed down for us who he was and what he did and what he said. Now, little a apostle is a gifting within the church that you might be good at starting new works and going to new frontiers and very entrepreneurial. And that is a good gift that God does. And he gives within the church. And that's a good thing. But it's not the same thing as the eyewitness. And so John speaks as the eyewitness of what he's seen. And what he says is that Jesus is God. And he has eternally existed. And he has created all things. But then the second thing he says here about what Jesus brings for us. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. There's the apostle teaching others. The apostolic succession is he teaches and it gets passed down. And he says, we teach to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. He comes so that we might have fellowship with God. That we might have a real relationship with the God of the universe. And so what he's saying is that the God of the universe has come and he has been made manifest to us and we are telling you this, that you might have a real relationship with him. And at the very heart of everything that we believe, this is our deepest need in our life. To have a relationship with God. To love God and then love people. And so John's saying that. He's saying that you would have fellowship with us and you would have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with the Father and his son Jesus. And you were made for this. You were made to have this relationship. It's written on your heart. It's the very core of who you are created in God's image to know and love him above all else. But the problem is we have all sinned we have all rebelled, we have all ignored God and the world He created and we have marred that relationship that we cannot have that unity with Him that we were designed to have because of our sin and that is why Jesus has come. He's come to bring us back in to offer us that fellowship, to bring us into this relationship. He's come to rescue us. And so John says here, we proclaim to you so that you would have this relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus. And I want you to think about what He says here when the way He, he, he frames this at the very beginning. And catch what He's saying. When He says, That which we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and we have touched our hands concerning the word of life. And I think what John has in mind when he says that is the totality of Jesus and what He's done. He doesn't say come hear what we've heard and let me give you a teaching. He doesn't just say that. He says, I want you to hear what we've heard, but then I want you to hear what we saw and I want you to hear what he did as we touched and we were there and we saw all of it. And I think what John is alluding to is the whole of Jesus' life. His perfect sinless life, his atoning death and his glorious resurrection. I think he's talking about all of it as he talks about what we've seen, and what we've heard and what we've touched. I can't help but think when he says what we've touched that he's thinking about John chapter 20. When Thomas says, I'll never believe except if I touch his hands and I see his side and Jesus shows up and says, come and touch my hands and feel my side after the resurrection. And I think he's even maybe alluding to that as he says that what we have touched. And what we have seen, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus comes to bring us back into a relationship with God. And it's not by just some teaching. Jesus didn't come and say, here's the rules you follow, and if you do that well, you will be saved. He came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And as we walk through this book, and as you read in John's Gospel in chapter 1, And as you read in 1 John, there's a lot of talk about the light and the dark and Jesus being the light that shines in the darkness. And the truth is we and our sin are in the darkness. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it's total pitch black. If you've ever had that happen. Where it's so dark that you're trying to have your eyes adjust and you can't see. It's kind of a freaky situation when it is so dark Normally, there's a little bit of light, and if you wait, your eyes will adjust, and then after a little bit of time, you can see. But when it is pitch black, you can't see anything. And you wait, and you wait. If you're like me, you open your eyes more, like like that's going to do it. And you still can't see because it's darkness, complete darkness. That is our spiritual condition apart from Christ. We can't see, we can't do it, we can't make that move towards Him. It takes the light coming and shining in the darkness to illuminate our hearts and our minds. And so Jesus comes and he comes to do what we can never do for us. And the light shines in the darkness and he draws us to himself. By grace, through faith, Jesus, perfect life for us. What we've never been able to live, he does. So John's talking about not just what he said, but what they saw and what he did, because it's the whole of his life. It's not just following his teaching the best we can, but it's putting our faith in his perfect sinless life for us. His atoning death as he takes our sin upon himself and pays for it for us. His glorious resurrection that we can now have new life in him because of what he's done. And that's what John is pointing us to and he says that is how we have fellowship with the father and his son through what Jesus has done. And that's such a foundational truth of everything we believe, but I think it's right here at the beginning of 1 John and what he's calling us to, what he's reminding us of. And so I want you to think about when he calls us into this fellowship. Another one of those words we can say and we can kind of gloss over, and go, yeah, yeah, fellowship, I got it. But to have fellowship with God, the creator of all things, and he offers fellowship, friendship, unity with him. And what that means for us to have that fellowship with Him. Every single one of us has a desire to be known and to be loved. It's the way we're created. In God's image to have that relationship with Him. But there's also this problem that we have in our sinfulness. We want to be known because we want to be loved, but we also don't want to be known because we want to be loved. Because if you knew everything about me, you probably wouldn't love me. If you knew everything, you might go, uh-huh. And we know that. Every one of us knows that. And that's why Jesus comes and he offers fellowship by what he does. And when we miss that, we will seek to validate ourselves and our life through the way people look at us rather than how God does. We'll hide parts of our life. Instead of having a full fellowship with other people and other believers, we'll hold parts of it back because we're still believing that it's all about us. And the way I'm saved is about how good of a person I am, but Jesus comes and he shines a light in the darkness and he reveals the truth. That you're more sinful than you ever would um, care to admit. But that you're more loved and accepted than you ever hoped by what Jesus does for you. And he comes and he shines that light in the darkness. And I start to think about this thing that John is talking about, that you would have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer, you know what I mean. When we start to talk about what this fellowship is with the Father through his Son, it is a gratitude and a joy that is overwhelming for the forgiveness that God has given you in Jesus And when we experience that, there's a feeling that goes with that—an overwhelming joy. When we understand what God has done from us, done for us, tears of joy at the glory of who God is and what He's done. I wrote about tears of joy and how I sometimes do that. <laughs> And now I'm like, oh, wow. Right? There's this feeling. There's this gratitude. There's this joy that comes with fellowship that you have with God. And it's completely because of what Jesus has done. And I can rest in that. That I can be known fully and still be loved because of what Jesus has done. And sometimes there's that feeling that overwhelms. And sometimes we can chase that feeling. We can see fellowship as, man, it's this feeling that I have And I'm overwhelmed by it and I want that feeling. And that is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with feelings being part of your relationship with the Father. This feeling in understanding what Jesus has done. But there's also the balance of what he says here concerning the word of life. You cannot divorce the truth from your feelings. And your feelings have to be influenced and guided by the truth of who God is and what he's done. In fact, I would say where I started this morning, talking about the error, theological drift, oftentimes is associated with us elevating feelings over God's Word. And the two have to go together. Our feelings have to be informed by what God has revealed to us about who He is and the way we approach Him. And they go hand in hand, and that is what that fellowship looks like. That's why when John talks about concerning the Word of Life, the life was made manifest and he has spoken and he has told us and he has showed us exactly what Jesus is like. And that is now or how God, what God is like in Jesus and that is now how we approach God. And those go hand in hand together and that is what that fellowship looks like. So who Jesus is, the eternal God who created all things, who has come to be known, has made, been made manifest and he offers us fellowship with God. Last part, why is that so vitally important? Look at verse 4. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You're created to love God and to love people. It's the very center of who you are. You're made in God's image to know and to love Him. And John says, we're writing these things. And he says that our joy may be complete. Might be a little perplexing as you first read that. What's he talking about? And he's talking about the apostles himself and those that are proclaiming Jesus, that are making disciples, that are going out and telling who God is and what he's like. And he says, we're saying these things that our joy may be complete. And if you know Jesus and you have fellowship with him by the Son to the Father and what he's done and you know this in your life, you know exactly what he means. When he says, we're writing these things that your joy may be complete, that our joy may be complete. If you know Jesus and you know what he's done for you and he knows, you know how he meets the deepest needs and desires of your heart and your life. The idea that to have a completeness of joy is to share that with others that they too would know Jesus makes perfect sense. Because you know how he meets your needs. And so when John says, we're writing that you might know, that our joy might be complete, as a believer that has fellowship with the Father through the Son, you go, yes, absolutely. I, I read this week, uh, Lynn's doing a fellowship at the gym. Those of you that know Lynn Sweat, she wrote, I'm going to have a ladies fellowship at the gym at this thing. And I read the post that she said, and I went, Do that, Lynn. Invite people to come. And I know her heart. And she's saying, I want people to come and know what Jesus is like. And I read that and I go, oh, yeah. Or or Ben came to my house this week for Young Life. And we invited neighbors with middle schoolers and said, come and let's talk about ways that we can have Young Life for middle school students in Dawson County. And I sat there going, yes. That these kids would know who Jesus is, that they'd have fellowship with the Father through what Jesus has done for them. Oh, that our joy may be complete. Do you know what I mean? When you know and love Jesus, and you see people struggling with validation, you see people struggling with being loved. Being able to accept that they're loved. And Jesus stands going, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I know exactly what John means when he says that our joy may be complete. Absolutely. And so he's going to talk about in this letter what that looks like. It makes me think of John chapter 20 when he writes, Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what he's saying, right? That's what he's saying here. The word of life, the eternal word of life has been made manifest. And I'm telling you this, that your joy may be complete. That we can live in light of the way we were created to be. This glorious good news. And so as we work our way through 1 John, that's simply what we're going to talk about. How do we walk in the light? How do we be reminded that God is love and that he loves us and his care for us? How do we be faithful in times when people are seeking to pull us away from the truth? So let's pray. God, we thank you for this letter. I thank you for your inspiration of it, your protection of it. your passing it down to us. That the eyewitnesses that were with you and love you wrote these things down for our benefit, that you would point us to who you are and the ways that you love us. We pray that as we spend time in this letter that you would continue to teach us and lead us and guide us. We pray that areas of our life where we are seeking to walk in the darkness that you would reveal those things that you would help us to come fully into the light of your love and find forgiveness that we would continue to walk each day seeking you in all things we thank you we thank you for the ways that you love us the way you keep us we pray all of it in jesus name amen